So yeah, welcome to this class. Um, this is the last class of this series. So um, I think is election day next week or it's the week after, something like this. Yeah, and then I go to Australia for a couple weeks. So we will potentially look into running this again um, if it makes sense in December, but maybe even just starting again in January for people that are interested. December would be awesome. December would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> usually so stressed in December. Okay. I always thought people are too busy in December to attend any meditation classes, which is why I usually don't book them. But. Well, we just have to make an appointment with ourselves, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Very good. So yeah, like um, some of you, I currently have no power in my house. And that's been, um, yeah, very interesting experience. I'm kind of slowly watching the food in my fridge start to get not so cold and the things in my freezer get even less cold and um, started moving some things from the fridge to the freezer to hopefully keep them cold a little bit longer. And yeah, no hot showers, and luckily I have a gas stove, so I can still kind of stick the lighter down to make something warm for myself. But um, yeah, it's just one of those interesting kind of few days where, you know, we're faced for with what us is a very kind of challenging situation, and a situation that most of the world faces daily. So a lot of places in the world have no power. And a lot of places the power goes out, you know. And there's, you know, some storms that rocked some of the islands to, to our south that will have no power for about a year, right? So it almost feels to me a little bit like we're getting a little taste of what other people experience, right? It kind of levels the playing field. Even here in Andover, this really kind of affluent, you know, this town, you know. But, um, but to still have to face these kind of hardships, I think it's really good for us together as much as it's a pain in the ass, you know, so to say. Um, so yeah, at our house last night, we, you know, lit candles and it was nice because you know, it also opened the space just to kind of be and to talk and to, you know, really just spend time presently. And um, my girlfriend was saying that she can't imagine what her parents must be doing because they just watch TV all the time. So, you know, for the average person who just spends their time watching TV, they suddenly have lost this thing that they depended on. And suddenly they just have to be here in the room with the person that they're married to and they don't know what to do anymore. And that's kind of part of why I think it's interesting is because a lot of the normal escapes are missing. A lot of the ways that we try to please ourselves or soothe ourselves or not have to be present with our living situation are gone. Um, people really start to freak out. They start to react. And that's simply because they're being forced to experience a part of their reality that they've been trying to avoid. And of course, there's a lot of just normal practicalities that are, you know, not so ego-based, just things like not being able to have a hot shower, having food that's going bad, maybe not being able to charge your cell phone, which you need for work. So there's a lot of practicalities, but there's also just a lot of comfort involved in it. And 
Yeah, and as I was driving up 114 um, yesterday and you know, saw this old man driving across the intersection, honking his horn, just giving the finger at all these people as he was passing them. And then the guy behind me was honking at the woman in front of me to move forward. And it was really just this interesting situation where, um, you know, at a, at a traffic light, this, that's not working and we have to self-organize and work together. And you see that, that there is a lot of working together and people have to start being aware of each other and start kind of communicating a little bit. Um, some people can slip into that and that's more or less easy and some people really have a hard time and you could see that there's some people that that's the way that they live their life is that if something's not going the way that they want they just get angry their way of probably dominating situations in their family or in their home you know in their homes or at their workplace if I want something that's not working then I'm gonna get angry I'm gonna kind of control everybody around me by trying to dominate them with my anger and that doesn't really work in those situations. Um, you know, when I was in India, you know, I've been there about seven times. And the most recent time, you know, I was just reminded when we go into these huge intersections and there's no lights and there's thousands of people trying to get through. And there's also dogs and cows and bikes and all sorts of things. And one of the things I love the most about India actually is the ability for people to function as a, un as a community as much as it's very chaotic and there's noise and honking and yelling and all sorts of things, there's also some kind of a flow and there's some kind of a feeling of we're all in this together that I often experience when I'm there. Whereas in America, I often feel this feeling of isolation because we have the lights, we have the lines, we have the rules and guides and structures. So we don't have so much contact with the people around us because we have contact to the structures that have been built up. You know, so you know to stay in your lane of the traffic, you know to stop at the light. So you can kind of follow the structure. But in India, a lot of the infrastructure is not there. You know, you go, even leaving the Delhi airport, it's a three or four lane highway, but there's maybe five or six cars across trying to get through because people take that, you know, they take the street lines as almost like a, a, a suggestion sometimes more than a law or a rule. And occasionally you'll get the car coming the wrong way on the highway towards you also, you know, on the, on the side. So, yeah, just kind of, I had some flashbacks to India while trying to, you know, leave my house. Um, but it was this really interesting thing to see how um, some people, they really have the ability to work together. They have the ability to look out for each other, to be considerate, to be respectful, to stop and let someone go and then go. And then you have other people that really have never learned that. They don't know how to work together with other people. And you see them then either being very timid and they don't really know what to do and uh, uh, or they're really aggressive and just trying to plow through and they're very me, me, me focused. And this is just a street light that's out. You know, and it really makes me think, what if something worse happened? Like what if we really had something happen and that we really had to work together? And it reminds me, I think, of a lot of movies that I've seen, right? That you have a lot of people, right, that are trying to figure things out and work together, and then you have these kind of just bands of, you know, armed civilians going around just saying, like, well, I'm just going to take everything that I want, you know, really getting into that survival mode, which is like me against everybody, you know. And it's just interesting to kind of just see that mentality popping up already just when there's something like a, a streetlight that's not working. So it's just been an interesting time for me personally, to reflect on society and to reflect on 
where we're at. And again, I really, as much as there's a lot of um, discomfort that's involved in this, it's going to cost some people money. And, and there's something about this that I really think it's valuable. And I really, you know, the fact that those people were getting angry, honking their horns, you know, I felt this is really good. It's really good for me that those people are are getting triggered. They're getting pushed into their emotions and they're starting to react and they're starting to have to look at that and face that and interact with the world with that. And it's ugly, but at the same time, it's now at least visible. And I'm often a fan of at least allowing the ugliness to become visible, that it has a chance to heal or to transform or to be reflected on. Um, and we saw a lot of this when our president got elected, right? Is that a lot of the ugliness of the country came up and a lot of people try to blame the president for that. It's like, no, that ugliness was there already. It just gave that ugliness the permission to come up, which is allowing a lot of conversations to happen that weren't really happening on a mass level because a lot of people thought, oh, you know, this country's we're not that racist. You know, we don't have that much discrimination here. We're not that, you know, and suddenly you see it just rising up out of everywhere. And it's like, oh, wow, we're really not as far as we thought we were, are we? that there's a lot of that still going on and at least now we're getting a more honest and authentic look at ourselves and we can now really talk about that and reflect on it and see what's going on so um, so yeah and Melissa also mentioned patience to work on patience today as a theme so I think definitely the first step to all of that to everything is patience and patience for me often means just taking a deep breath as your first move. Um, as I was driving over here, actually, I had the hiccups. And I've learned somehow how to just stop the hiccups by focusing on them. That if I feel hiccups, I just focus on them and I kind of drop into meditation. And then I usually feel like a tension somewhere in my stomach. And I just kind of focus in, focus in, focus. And then my breathing kind of slows to a stop. And then everything just kind of sits in stillness for a couple moments. And then when it kind of comes back online, the hiccups are gone. And I kind of thought about this also as a, as a kind of metaphor for how I approach a lot of situations in life and also how meditation helps situations in life. But also maybe this thing that I would call patience, which is, um, if there's a problem or there's something going on, the really first step you can often do is you just stop and you just go deeply into the situation. You don't start by trying to do something, unless, you know, if there's a, a wild dog coming in the room or there's something that you actively have to stop. I, we have a little white dog and I walk it through Denrock and we saw a coyote there, you know, some months ago. So I often, as I'm walking this dog, have these fantasies like, okay, if a coyote comes, like, do I f run at the coyote to chase it away or do I run and try to pick up the dog really quickly? But what if the dog tries to go for the coyote and the coyote's coming for the dog? So I, you know, I've had all these thoughts like, okay, in those situations, they would require me to act immediately. If suddenly I'm with this little fluffy white dog that looks more like a rabbit than anything and there's a coyote who just wants to eat whatever it can find, you know, I would in that moment have to immediately act. Whatever I did, I would have to act and my actions would probably make or break the situation. Um, but generally speaking in life, we're not faced with that many instantaneous, 
you know, right now urgent situations where you have to, right now, act or react, and then I'll, you know, the life of this animal will depend on that. A lot of our life situations actually have more time to reflect, more time to breathe, more time to think, more time to look at it. And even when you're driving and, you know, you're at a light like that and somebody's yelling at you, as much as that seems like, oh my God, I have to react right now, those are actually situations where you can breathe. Yeah, because even if you have like five seconds, that's enough time. So one thing that I've really learned in meditation, it's how to sit with discomfort. If I have a pain in my body, if I'm bored, if I'm tired, if I want to be meditating deeper than I am, if I want to be more peaceful, um, all these wants coming up, trying to control the process, you know. And really just sitting and breathing and allowing things to be it's really kind of started to strengthen that muscle, I guess I could say in myself, that in my daily life also situations will arise and I've also found this ability to just breathe and to feel them and to really just wait with them. And the thing is a lot of situations when you just wait with them, they'll already just shift by themselves. A lot of situations, um, even like what, what are they called, the, a disruptive thought, right? So say I'm, uh, you know, I'm walking over a bridge and in my mind it's like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to jump off this bridge, you know? A lot of people are like, oh my God, did I just think that? You know, that's my, my thought, it's turning against me. You know, what I would do is if I was walking and that thought came, you know, like, wow, I really want to jump off this bridge. I would just not react because the thought's already gone. It's already left. So there's nothing to react to anymore. And I often talk about this when I was in the monastery. We were right next to a train line. And we would be sitting up front in the meditation hall, you know, meditating in the mornings. And if there was a window open, um, and the trains would pass very, very close to the monastery. And this would happen pretty much every time, is that when a train passed, um, one of the nuns, just because the monks were on one side, the nuns were on the side close to the windows, one of the nuns would get up and walk over and start closing the windows. And in my head, I always would think, wow, that's so stupid. Because the second she got to the window, the train had already passed. And a train's not going to come for another couple hours and we'll be gone by then. So this reacting to something that's already gone, it's something that we all are actually doing quite often whether it's to our own thoughts, whether it's to things other people say, situations, things will just pass. And it's already gone, but we hold on to them. We keep them alive. Our bodies tense up in certain ways to keep reminding the mind, this thing happened. Yeah, so a lot of times our emotions, the angers, the, a lot of the feelings in our body, it's like somebody comes in this room and goes, you're all stupid, you know, and you tense up. And the person leaves, but then your mind keeps bouncing off of that tension in your body that's reminding you, hey, that thing was just said, you know, and you're not letting that thing go. And it's connected to this whole story. So we, we also often hold tension in our bodies as placeholders, like there's something that you still haven't dealt with or resolved. Which is also why sometimes when you meditate, you'll notice your body just starts to release and relax. Because you have tons of these little tensions built up in all these different places from situations that you've been storing in your body. Some people actually say that our body is our subconscious because our body is actually what holds on to the emotional information that we're not able to process consciously yet. 
right? So our body is actually even sometimes referred to as our subconscious in that sense. So if something happens and it's going to pass all by itself, right? So that guy comes and he honks and he gives the finger and he drives. You know, one, one possible thing one could do is just to watch that guy pass and be like, huh, and then keep driving. Yeah? Right? One thing one could do would be that guy gives the finger and to think, what an asshole, and then to keep driving. And then one thing one could do if that guy's honking would be to drive your car right in front of that guy and to get out of your car and start banging on his window and saying, who are you giving the finger? What is that? You know, start a fight, road rage, whatever. And there's really not much wisdom in that reactionary response. It's easy and it feels good and it's kind of empowering, right? Because if somebody yells at you and gives you the finger... Again, people use their anger to try to dominate situations energetically. So oftentimes, if you feel somebody's anger, it's like they're ta- it feels like they're taking away your energy. They're taking something from you energetically. They're trying to dominate you, right? And that's often why we want to use anger back, to push back, to, to even, or even dominate them, right? Well, it's like, well, you don't, right? We try to get on top of them. It's like a wrestling match. Who can be on top energetically by the time the situation ends? It's like a fight, but using words and emotions and energy instead of using our fists. And those sometimes are needed because there are people that that's how they go through their life is they'll try to dominate you. And sometimes you do need to hold up boundaries. You need to set them back. You need to pull them off of you energetically. But also there's times where you can really look and realize, why would I even engage with this person's energy? You know, why does somebody honking and giving me the finger do anything to me? I can see that this guy is just an idiot. I can see that he doesn't really know the situation clearly. He's very much in his own little world. He's angry because he wants something that he's not getting. None of which even, if I don't even know this person, I'll never see them again. None of this affects me whatsoever. But why do I get angry when that happens? What is the trigger inside of myself? You know, and these are all really important things to start breaking down and looking at. Um, and kind of, again, the whole process for myself that I found, it's really starting with taking that breath. Is that in a moment, in a situation, in an interaction, you just stop, you take a breath, and then you look and kind of see how you want to respond. Um, I just watched the Patriots game the other day, and um, one of their running backs, he often would, you know, he'd get the ball from Tom Brady, and he would run over to where the line of scrimmage is, so all the players are pushing against each other. And he'd run, and then he would stop, and he would look at where everyone is, and then he would decide which route he wants to take. If he wants to go down the middle, if there's any hole opening up, if he wants to go on either side. Yeah, and... I was talking about this with my friend because a lot of times running backs, they get the ball and they just charge into the line of scrimmage and they just run into the back of their own players and just fall and that's as far as they got with the ball. And we were saying it's interesting that he runs and he stops and he takes that second to look and then he decides where he wants to go. And I think that that's really a practice of mindfulness and that's really also something that we can bring into our situational lives is that when situations occur, you can take that second and you can stop. When that guy was driving in front of me, honking, giving the finger and yelling, 
I took a breath and I stopped and I saw like five different options arise in my mind at once. And I could kind of look through them and see like, oh, if I go that way, that's not going to end well for anybody. If I go that way, I might think that I'm feeling better, but I'm just being a jerk like that guy is. If I do this way, I'm not going to feel good because somehow like I'm letting him win and I'm still like stuck in some weird emotional battle that's you know not even really happening. You know, and I let all these emotions or all these different paths, these roots arise at once. And I could kind of just glance through them and then just say, oh, I'll take this option. You know, and my option was when the guy was doing that, my response was just to look and say, wow, we really need to work better at being a community, don't we? You know, just to really see it in an objective level and say, it's not about me. It's not about that guy. It's just about the us. It's that, oh, the us kind of is malfunctioning because we're just not used to this. That nobody really knows how to handle it when there's no laws or rules and it's just people having to work together or communicate suddenly a lot of things just fall into disrepair because people don't have practice you know and then that allowed me to pull just a piece of understanding out of the situation without reacting to anything so um, in meditation there's also another understanding for patients that my teacher Achan Brahm said it's important to separate what we usually think of as patience from actually what patience is. Um, the Chinese character for patience, actually, in Chinese calligraphy, it's an, the symbol for a knife over the symbol for heart. Yeah, so think about that. A knife over a heart. And that's their word for patience. Yeah, so there's a couple different ways you could think about that. But just imagine a like a knife hanging over you, yeah, and having just to wait with that. But also that feeling of actually, you know, in some kind of pain that there is something that's hurting or discomfort and also having to wait with that. Yeah, so it's either that, you know, pain is looming over you or pain is actually happening to you and just having to be with that. And the wrong understanding of patience, Achim Brahm said, he said it's waiting in the future. So it's that, um, that there's a loud noise outside and we're being bothered by it, but then we say, well, it'll be over soon. So we're waiting for that noise to end. Yeah, so we're actually not happy with it. We're being disrupted, but we're waiting for it to end. So we're not reacting to it now, knowing that it's going to end like later. So we're not reactive, but we're disturbed and we're annoyed. And we're sitting in kind of this annoyance waiting for that thing to end. That's how we usually practice patience, actually. Yeah, wanting something to end, but waiting for it to end. So the better definition of patience would involve more of an equanimity. It involves more of a really being at peace with whatever's happening in the present moment. So if you're sitting here and there's jackhammering outside, it's not saying, well, I'll be patient, like I'll wait for that thing to end. It's like saying, how can I reside in the present moment without being so disturbed and annoyed? Yeah, being patient, it's like, how can I really just be here and let go of wanting to change this moment? Yeah, how can I just 
let this be everything as it is without thinking there's something wrong or something that needs to be fixed or something that's not right. Yeah. Or wanting something that is here not to be here or wanting something that's not here to be here. Yeah, how can I just be with the present moment fully and really just, yeah, be at peace with that, really fully be present, accept it, not want to change it. Yeah, because then that quality of patience, it's like if you're waiting at a bus stop for a bus that's never coming and you're totally happy with that. Yeah, think about that. Yeah, because if you can embody that in your meditation, then you just sit and you smile and you relax. And you're not kind of beating yourself over the head because you're not calm yet, because you're still stressed or having thoughts. Or you're sitting here and you're like, well, I'm really restless and angry and annoyed, but I have patience, so I'll just sit and feel restless and angry and annoyed until Seth rings the bell and the meditation's over. It's like, yeah, that brought you nothing. You know, that's like taking a pot, filling it with garbage, and then putting the lid on it. Yeah, it's like I'm just going to hold all of my crap inside and then walk away. And it's like, well, then why'd you even come here? You should have gone to the gym or something. Yeah, so it's really about how can we fully be here in this present moment? How can we be fully okay with things as they are and just totally be open and allow them and not want them to be any different than they are at all in complete peace and equanimity and to just let it be, let it all be. To, to not think that when that thing is different, I'll be at peace. To realize that when I can let go then the situation is resolved. Yeah. It's our own minds. It's our own minds that are creating this illusion that things need to be changed. Yeah, does that part make sense? This is like the most important part. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, in The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, anyone see that one? Mm -hmm. The like emperor or whatever he said. He wrote a poem and he said, and, you know, it's like a king goes to the orchards and he's looking for the most, the most perfect flower. He spent his life looking for the most perfect flower. You know, and then at the end of the movie, the emperor is like, I know how to finish that poem. They are all perfect. Yeah, and what he meant by that is every flower just is how it is. But it was the mind of the emperor that would look at the flower and say, oh, this is a little bit too much like this. This one's a little too wilty. This one's too red. This one's too this. That it was his own mind that had an idea of what perfection means. And so none of the flowers were perfect because they didn't fit his concept. But then suddenly he realized, oh, the problem isn't the flower not being right. It's my concept that I'm putting over everything. That if I let go of my concept of perfection, suddenly everything just is how it is. Yeah, so we peel it back. We reclaim that. We take responsibility. We pull our mind back, our views, our ideals, our expectations. We pull that back. We realize, ah, oh, the world just is how it is. I'm the problem with my world. It's me. It's because I can't just let things be. I can't let go. It's me. The world will always just be how the world is forever. Since it began, after I'm gone, it will just be how it is. Yeah. So for the last class today, right, and then like moving forward into your lives after this also, 
really the most important thing we can learn from all of this. It's realizing that one little truth, you know, is that we are the ones creating it for ourselves. The world is perfectly fine, always. The world is how it is. Even if there's a huge tidal wave coming from this side and a volcano erupting over here and a war in front of us and, uh, you know, whatever, people starving behind us, and it's horrible and everything's in pain, everything's dying, that's just what the world is doing right now. That's how it is. That's what's going to happen. Nature happens. People happen. Wars happen. It all happens. It's happening and happening. And you can be a part of it and you can work to help it and you can use your time and your body and your energy to do good. And at the same time, the world is just going to keep happening. You know, so we have to do good. We have to live a good life, a life that we feel in integrity with. And at the exact same time, completely allowing the world to be however it is around us to have peace with the world, to do the work that we need to do and to be totally at peace with the world how it is. Yeah, and then you won't get exhausted, you won't get angry and frustrated, you won't be fighting all the time. And when you sit down to meditate, you can drop right in in peace because you already know that the world is not your responsibility. Okay? <laughs>